Welcome to Healthcare is Hard, a podcast for insiders. Each episode, LRV Health's Keith Figlioli will talk to the healthcare insiders who are helping to fundamentally transform our healthcare industry. Hey everyone, this is Tom Salemi. Welcome back to Healthcare is Hard, a podcast for insiders. Here, of course, with our great host, Keith Figlioli. Keith, good morning. Morning. It is 9 a.m. on a Monday. <laughs> we are we are struggling in a mighty way that uh, it feels like it should be Super Bowl Monday morning, but uh, it's not. It's just it's just year three or four of COVID it's right. lockdown. It's the, uh, what is it? The official 13th month of uh, staring into <laughs> Zoom and, and trying to crank the coffee in by 9 a.m. I know. I'm, I'm already fatigued of Zoom fatigue. Like all the Zoom fatigue articles, it's like, yes, I know. <laughs> this is hard. Let's just all muscle through. We'll do it. I believe in America. <laughs> almost but, there. Uh, We're almost there. And podcasts like these certainly help your guest today, Winji Mayo. She's the Chief Experience Officer at Texas Health Resources. She, uh, you, and her, you and she had a great conversation about uh, something that's really COVID-related, which is sort of the advancing of, of home health care and, and telemedicine. Tell us a bit about what you talked about. Yeah, it's funny. It's uh, it's a topic that we as a firm have been spending a lot of time on, even before COVID. Um, we had spent some time because as CMS continues to think through kind of site-neutral payment and um, trying to move more and more out of the hospital, including higher acuity um, cases, how do we think about that working with our payers and our, and our healthcare systems uh, in a scaled way. And so I thought it was interesting to bring Winji on and, and talk a little bit about how do you scale or how do you think about um, from a strategy standpoint, because she's really responsible for the overall, what I'll call uh, emerging uh, consumerism strategy at THR. And one component of that is how do you incorporate sort of home care delivery. And home care delivery could be a higher acuity case. Um, you know, we we actually just recently invested in a company that started to do oncology at home, uh, some of the treatment protocols there. And so you're starting to see more and more uh, occur at a higher and higher acuity level in different settings of care that, that don't look like, you know, traditional settings that you would see in a high acuity location like a hospital. So she's been thinking through that as much as we've been thinking through that at a firm for the, you know, the last number of years. Um, they're starting to make really good paces on that in terms of how they're thinking about the initial foray into that. And so we wanted to bring her on and, and talk specifically about that. We also um, did this in conjunction with your former employer, so uh, we did this in conjunction with the Digital Health Innovation Summit that used to help um, uh, when you were there uh, uh, work with this with this podcast. And so we did a whole summit uh, as well on this topic, was which just wasn't just Winji and I, but then we had a panel afterwards um, with a number of prominent emerging companies um, such as Current Health, which is an enterprise RPM space, Tomorrow Health, which is in sort of the DME space, if you will. Um, and then we also had Medically Home on there, which is probably the emerging, you know, one of the more emerging brands in this particular space. And so it was a great sort of uh, culmination of what we heard from Winji, but also what we heard after our discussion in the event about the new class of citizens or the new emerging new codes, if you will, that are starting to attack this area in the market. Interesting. I wonder... We talk about COVID and sort of, the, again, joking about how all the days seem stretched together. But as an investor, how do you ensure that you're not investing in something that's, that fad is not the right term, but might be necessary because of the conditions we're under, knowing that it's likely that those conditions won't exist a year from now? How do you do, can changes like this one, 
where we're seeing an increase in telemedicine, home health care, because we have to. Do those changes typically re- remain in place? Can you count on those remaining in place? Or do you really have to try to get your head back in what was and how things were? Yeah, I, I think it's a great question. And, you know, we see a lot of stuff and you can imagine a lot of the things that we see will kind of see during COVID and post-COVID, not even post-COVID yet, but during is, you know, a lot of plays that are volume-based associated with COVID. So you look at testing companies, right? I can't tell you how many pitches we've gotten from testing companies and things like that. Like, that's not something we would ever invest in. Others might, but we wouldn't. You know, I think those sort of are a little fly-by-night. I think this topic area is a little bit different. If you kind of think through telehealth, home care delivery, alternative site care delivery is probably a better way to think about it, not just home, which is what is true outpatient, what is true ambulatory start looking like as more and more health systems are frankly being forced, first of all, by some of the payment treatments that are coming out from um, not only CMS, but also commercial um, plans in terms of wanting to get to lower sites of care, costs, sites of care. So this to me is just one of the many kind of you know, monopoly blocks, if you will, in terms of someone trying to think through how does this health experience fundamentally change over the next decade? So I, as much as, you know, we started this work actually before COVID. So as much as this feels like a COVID thing to me, it really, it really is not. It's really about the continual digital transformation uh, and overall healthcare transformation landscape, frankly. But I, I think your question is dead on around you know, you got to be have a pretty skeptical eye on some of these things that have come across your desk right now with COVID because you got to wonder, is this something that's going to last? I mean, a perfect case in point, probably the most polarizing case in point on this one is, is telehealth reimbursement. You know, Amwell and, and Teladoc and the rest have done, and MD Live just got bought by Cigna. You know, they're doing incredibly well. I don't think that's going anywhere, right? That is a trend that's here to stay. The question is, you know, I think there was 140, I get last time I counted, 144 different reimbursement code changes uh, that were temporary waivers that took place during COVID. You know, how many of those persist? So there's a tug of war right now at MedPAC, at AHIP, at, you know, I just saw a, a news announcement over the week that AHIP and MedPAC are like yelling at each other about whose point of view is better around where we need to go with telehealth reimbursement. So that is all happening right in front of us. That could be reimbursement parity. So is is someone getting reimbursed the same exact amount for a telehealth visit as they were for an inverse in-person visit? That could be something such as what exists today. Outside, outside of rural sites are very different, but in an urban setting, you have a thing called originating site. Originating site is meaning that you literally have to have a telehealth visit to get reimbursed that you're sitting in an office to a certain degree. You have licensure issues on this, this topic. So all of these issues, which don't really feel like a COVID issue. They just feel like a maturation of the industry and the digitization, the transformation taking place issue. So I think those issues are long. Some of the shorter issues to your point, I think you just, you know, most sophisticated investors are are, are pretty trained that way and, and don't think that way. So I don't, I think those are kind of blips. Like so most times those things don't even get meetings most days. Interesting. All right. Well, I think uh, the opinion of, of Winji Mayo is going to be uh, is going to be the one we really want to track since she's on the front line of uh, of delivering this healthcare. So uh, let's get into your interview with Winji Mayo, the Chief Experience Officer at Texas Health Resources. All right. Well, we've got a fun one this month in terms of uh, 
working in partnership with the Digital Health Innovation Summit and their Spotlight Series. We're going to do something a little bit different, a little video, a little audio, and doing this also in partnership, obviously, with our normal uh, Healthcare is Hard podcast. So it's been great to work with uh, the Digital Health Innovation team to put this together and, and really to focus on a topic that I think is really timely, which is all around care at home, because we've seen such an explosion of that through COVID um, and a lot of a lot of our healthcare systems and payers thinking through different strategies uh, to take to make sure we can take care of patients at home uh, during the pandemic. Um, I'm ecstatic to have um, a close friend, uh, <laughs> Winji Mayo, uh, who's the Executive Vice President and Chief Experience Officer for Texas Health Resources in Dallas, Texas. Winji, welcome uh, to the uh, Digital Health Innovation Spotlight Series. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. So we've, we, you and I have talked about this, and, and, and maybe before we get into it, I, I guess I'll just check in first on how the system is doing and, and is everything thawed out, and, and hopefully everybody is um, starting to recover from, from last week's events. Yeah, um, I saw a meme the other day that said uh, it had a quite entertaining picture, and it said, I'm sick of living through historical events, um, but I think the team really did a phenomenal job. Uh, there were some challenges. Uh, but patient care was uninterrupted and always safe. And I can't say enough about uh, the colleagues that I have here and the frontline team members who rallied to make sure that everything got taken care of and most importantly, our patients. Yeah, incredible experience to go through once in probably 30 years or so, it sounded yeah. like. so. But, but to the topic at hand, um, the Spotlight Series, um, and then there's a great panel after us um, with a number of folks, um, including Medically Home, Current Health, and Tomorrow Health, um, that are front and center on this topic. But, but you and I have talked about this sort of care at home topic a bit over the last probably year or year and a half. But before we get into that, I would love to learn maybe a little bit more about sort of you and a quick background on yourself. And then, you know, I always ask every guest we have, you know, how, how did you get here? Like, how did, how did, how did this pathway, you know, you've got this great, terrific job now with, with Texas Health and uh, people love to hear the journey. Yeah, well, I uh, knew that I wanted to be in healthcare for a long, long time, even, you know, junior high, high school. And I got into it on the science end. So as a biomedical engineer, and was fascinated by the science of, of health and sickness and uh, really wanted to do basic science research when I started college. And then once I got into school, realized that um, there was this ability to have an impact on a much larger scale in a field called public health that I knew nothing about. And uh, once I learned about it and realized that there was a way to combine both the people side and the science side on a population level, that really um, appealed to me more than the straight, you know, kind of basic science side of healthcare. So that's how I ended up in public health and started my career actually at Texas Health. Um, I just celebrated my 20 year anniversary last year. Wow. Spent uh, my first 15 years in hospital operations, literally at one of our biggest hospitals, followed by our smallest, and then had the opportunity um, to build a new hospital, uh, a Greenfield facility um, where I got to um, really pilot and implement some new technologies where at older hospital campuses you have limitations and can't do that and ultimately have spent the past uh, five or six years at the system office now working on both system integration and transformation and ultimately all of that integration and transformation leads to a better experience both for our patients and consumers 
but also uh, a transformation that makes it easier for all of our caregivers um, to do their jobs as well. So it's improving the experience on both sides, the consumer side as well as the caregiver side. And you've you've obviously seen a lot of sides of, of Texas Health Resources given the 20 years. A little, maybe a little overview on the system, and then maybe even a little bit about the sort of greater North Texas market as well in terms of um, what you guys work in. Sure. So um, Texas Health Resources is a faith-based, not-for-profit health system uh, that cares for more patients in North Texas than any other provider. Um, We serve the entire region through um, our hospitals, which I just referenced how I grew up in the system, as well as through our Texas Health Physician Group. We have outpatient facilities, neighborhood care and wellness centers, urgent care facilities, home health, um, and preventative and fitness services. We also are in a accountable care network um, with UT Southwestern and take on risk-based products through there, including the Medicare NextGen um, program, a Medicare Advantage plan. And then we also have a commercial joint venture um, with Aetna in a health plan known as creatively Texas Health Aetna. <laughs> so that's kind of the size and breadth of Texas Health. And of course, we're in the North Texas, South Fort Worth market, which is the fourth largest metropolitan area in the country where it is very competitive, primarily um, making the shift to value-based care, but primarily still very much a fee-for-service environment compared to other regions in the country. Yeah. I mean, you, you know, North Texas is such a unique model in that it is hyper-competitive to your point with you and Baylor and UT and a handful of other providers in that market. But I also heard a stat once that it was about 1,500 new commercial patients showing up in the region pretty much every day, which I think, you know, a large share of healthcare providers on this country would die for your paramedics <laughs> because it is so commercial rich and, and uh, demographic rich, if you will, in terms of the type of, of payer. I think there's two sides to that coin, right? One is absolutely the population growth is incredible. And that population growth allows us to make that transition from fee-for-service to a value-based world in a much more thoughtful and um, less risky, no pun intended, way. Because as you create that value-based care and care management, you know, people in other markets, I know, think about, well, you know, how am I going to fill this fixed chassis that is my hospital? And we have the ability to know that with the population growth, we can offset that um, in a way that other markets may not. I will say one of the challenges in Texas, though, is also that um, Texas is a state that did not expand Medicaid. And so that continues to be a challenge for us as well, with anywhere of a quarter to a third of the population uninsured in different markets that we serve. Right, which ultimately then drives up uncompensated care for a lot of health systems and providers around the country, I assume. Let's dive a little bit into, you know, if you think about that competitive dynamic, and, you know, obviously I would think differentiation of services and and to your role, differentiation of experience is really going to matter as it plays out through sort of what, what I'll dive into, which is really digital transformation as part of the strategy for a lot of these systems, which is asynchronous care, synchronous care, mm-hmm. um, in-person, you know, not just acute care, but obviously non-acute. Where does Texas Health sit within sort of the digital kind of transformation and the overall experience journey, given your role? Yeah, we really started our journey in 2016, um, where we said, 
as part of our new uh, strategic plan, we needed to think through what that true north would be. And in 2016, we came up with Vision 2026, which said we're going to put consumer um, focus at the center of everything that we do. So the goal at that point was to really learn and understand the consumer as the first phase of our journey, build the capabilities in order to activate the consumer in the next third of that journey, and then finally to be able to capture value both as a consumer, I'm capturing value, but also as Texas Health, I'm capturing value in that third phase of that um, Vision 2026 goal. And has COVID accelerated that goal at all? I mean, it's sort of going through all this. I mean, has it accelerated your plans in certain areas? I mean, I've heard that a lot from various people. Yeah, it's definitely accelerated our plans and accelerated the learnings. So, you know, I think back to a year ago where we had piloted primary care virtual care. We had a very phased rollout that we were thinking through throughout 2020. And then COVID hit. And all of a sudden, every single one of our practices went up on a primary care virtual care platform in a matter of days. And so, uh, you know, you can call that two to three month period one giant pilot or whatever it is, but it is uh, it was definitely a cycle of learning. And based on what we learned from that, we realized that some of the requirements and specifications and things that were important to us prior in the pilot, once we had everybody go through it, we realized oh, some of those things really weren't as important or there were some things we didn't think about that were important, that weren't important, that are now incredibly important. And so um, it really caused us to rethink our entire virtual strategy, our platform partner, and made some significant changes in that arena. And Heidi, I mean, this is the loaded part of the interview because you and I have done so much work on this over the last six months together. But it, it, you know, when you think about sort of let's just start with the telehealth side, you know, what do you see working over the next year? What do you see still as major barriers in terms of trying to put that in place across the system? And, you know, where do you see that in say three years? Is that, is that fully part of your integrated workflow compared to what it is today? I mean, how do you think about that? Uh, The last part of your answer, uh, the last part of your question first, I do think in three years, it will be an integrated part of our workflow And I think that it'll be hardwired into operations um, and the next three years is a journey to that. Um, In terms of barriers, I think there are external barriers as well as some internal ones. Externally, as we, as you and I have talked about, you know, we know that reimbursement right now is the same for an in-person or virtual visit. And um, that allows us to be able to be very flexible with consumers in terms of the different pathways to get care. We hope that that reimbursement stays the same, even as we come out of the pandemic and the emergency um, authorization um, expires. However, we do think that will be a barrier in the future if that is not allowed to continue. Um, I think the other piece is internally, you know, we have um, processes that are built and people that are built and frameworks and compensation models that are all based on in-person visits, whether that's a telehealth visit for primary care or a home visit for urgent care or acute care at home and how we um, really break that apart and think through what pieces are transitions and add-ons for existing um, business units and what pieces need to be brand new from the ground up as a new business unit in order to deliver on all these components that 
a consumer wants and now has experienced and wants to continue um, will be uh, a big piece of, I think, where what we're thinking through over the next three to six months and then spending the next 18 to 24 months implementing that. And that's the interesting part about this. And, and again, we've talked about this a little bit in the past, which is I think everybody thinks it's like game, set, match in telehealth and like Amwell and Teladoc, they want it. And just, you know, let's just let them play out. And But there is significant amount of integration work to get this right and significant amount of technology work still to get this right. And I feel like mm-hmm. the implementation cycles on this is probably going to be to your to your point, you know, not only 24 months, but but maybe three to, you know, maybe the next five years is really laying all the tracks down to fully have this integrated. I don't, I don't know if you agree with that. I do agree with that. And then we need to look at what's the technology that enables that, right? What we're talking about a lot right now is the um, product itself that allows for the care to be delivered. So there's a great primary care virtual health product, or, you know, you just named a bunch of you know, doctor to consumer, right, D to C type of um, platforms, and then you've got acute care platforms, and then you've got, you know, kind of population health care management platforms. But the key is how do you connect those all together? And um, the platforms in that space and the software, the middleware that connects all that together, um, there are pieces, I think, that are a little more mature than others. But that whole category of um, software, if you will, is still not as mature as what we were talking about before, which is those platforms that actually deliver, support the delivery of the clinical care. Yeah. And then if you think about the expansion, which is uh, widely known about, you know, larger health systems like Texas Health really moving away from, not away, but more of their services outside the four walls of a hospital. And I'm going to skip over a bunch of places like urgent care and retail and things like that and jump right to the home because that's the crux of, of, of the discussion after we get through the telehealth stuff. You know, is, is, is home real yet? I mean, when you step back and think about it, you know, is this, is this the beginning of a long journey on this one? Is it ever truly going to be a scaled destination site that a health system will provide a set of services to? You know, as we know, and we'll hear on the next panel, there's a lot of really good work being done there, but it's pretty small end right now in terms of the number of patients and, and let alone the reimbursement. But I'm just curious sort of how, how you and your role, again, is the sort of chief experience officer and think about sort of the home as a destination site right now. And then we can talk a little about where it goes. Yeah, I think it's like any of our other channels. Home is right for some, not right for all. Telehealth is right for some, is not right for all. Great point. Right? In-person is perfect for some, but not for all. And our role as health systems is to offer all those channels in the most safe and efficient way possible um, for and meet people where they are. So absolutely, home is the right avenue for um, a whole plethora of people, both from a DRG standpoint and from a kind of, you know, social home setting um, standpoint, but it's not for others. Um, You know, this pandemic has shown us and even um, just through last week when uh, Texas was going through power outages and water outages, you know, if you don't have internet, if you don't have reliable internet, if you don't have reliable power, if you don't have the ability um, to connect multiple at-home remote monitoring devices at your 
home if you don't have a support system and a family member who can um, be there and be part of the care team, then that may not be the right destination for you. But for others, it's absolutely the right destination. And I think all of us who could would say, yeah, I'd much rather be in the comfort of my own home with a surrounding that I'm familiar with than be in the hospital with, you know, lots of strangers coming in, lots of beeping and, you know, being awoken at all hours of the night. Uh, but I think it is absolutely a place that we need to uh, provide care in. And the way we get there is in a very thoughtful um, and measured way. And is scale, when you think about that, because it's it's really, it's a lot of one-to-one care rather than the one-to-many in a facility, if you will. Mm-hmm. You know, thinking about that level of scale, do you, do you foresee, you know, certain indications or certain chronic states or certain um, procedures, uh, you know, as part of that procedural pathway, sort of clustering those to make it more efficient um, as a way to do this? Or how do you, how do you think about sort of, you know, maybe a different way to think about it too, is like, you know, service line by service line or indication by indication. I'm just curious, you know, if, if you're launching down that path, how you would think and the advice you give to other health system leaders to, to think about that. Yeah. I, for us at Texas health, you know, as we looked at getting into the acute care at home space, um, uh, I'll be honest, we had somewhat of a tough time because we just talked about our market. It's primarily fee for service Um, The value that accrues, you know, oftentimes doesn't come to us. It's still going to the payers because of the way that our risk-based arrangements um, are are currently contracted compared to other parts of the country, which are at much higher percentage in terms of um, risk-based contracts. So we had to think through that in in a different way. And the way we thought through that is really what was... um, safe from a patient safety standpoint and what are the DRGs that our clinicians viewed were um, uh, the right first moves from a clinical standpoint. Then you have to look at the, you know, social and infrastructure of the patient and what's that right, um, you know, balance of who, how do you screen that in and out? And then finally, looking at from a value standpoint, Um, How do we add value both to the patient and the consumer and to Texas Health um, in that arrangement and in that particular situation? And how does that occur? And I think that on the acute care side is a lot more challenging to solve than, say, on the urgent care side or on the primary care side. And so on the primary care side, for example, you can be much more liberal about who you have a televisit with and how you do that. And on the acute care side, you have to be much more thoughtful in all three of those realms, right? The clinical realm, the kind of technology infrastructure realm, and the financial reimbursement realm. And you think on the reimbursement side, um, do you envision, at least in a, a state like Texas, that the majority of these types of programs initially will be tied to value-based contracts because it's a, a logical way to bring down costs in a lower site of care? Um, I think initially that is definitely the, the place that we will start, but I would say this, I would say that we are also one of the largest employers and employers in the area are looking for a way to stabilize and reduce their costs. And we do believe that acute care at home is a way to do that for a specific set of conditions. 
um, and working with um, employers and pairs to create those is something that we really look forward to. So it could be an interesting uh, health system direct to employer type of strategy or a part of your health plan with JV with Aetna type of strategy then. I think we'd be open to partnering with um, anyone who has that same vision of saying, okay, we see that care is changing um, and that um, we want to be part of that change um, in order to offer more affordable care to our employees um, as well as to our employers and shareholders. Right. And if that's through a traditional payer, great. Um, and if it happens in a different way, we're open to that too. Got it. And then, you know, maybe coming around on the subject, you know, when you when you think about sort of the playbook for a health system, and you've been doing this for 20 years. So like the you know, the the typical playbook for a health system, um, in terms of the way they go about their business, do you think that's changing fundamentally and even potentially throwing out the window, at least for the larger health systems that are truly the way I'll describe it trying to provide health in the community, not just acute care in the community. You think that playbook is really changing right now? Yeah, I think it's definitely evolving. You know, when I first started with Texas Health, we were a hospital company and everything um, that we did was in support of hospitals and hospital um, volume. Now we have a whole portfolio of services. And um, I think the new skill set that we're learning is how to balance a portfolio where sometimes within that portfolio there are computing interests um, and how to put in the right processes and the right metrics and the right technology, right? To be able to navigate both a consumer through our entire portfolio in a seamless way, but also for us internally to be able to understand this more complicated portfolio um, in a way where we have the right insights and information um, to make a good decision. And we understand how that decision affects all the pieces of our portfolio. Whereas before we really only had, you know, one portfolio to really think through and manage. Yeah, that's a great point. I, you know, the, the, the two subtle takeaways I took from the discussion was, you know, your point about meeting the patient where they are in the community, I think is really important. And then that second point you just made is sort of the portfolio approach of, of the larger systems that are out there and, and thinking about this in a very different manner. Um, but this has been terrific. I, I really appreciate your time as always. Um, any, any other last thoughts that maybe we didn't cover? Uh, no, I think it is a, to your point, I think it is a much longer journey um, than, you know, just coming out of this pandemic. Gosh, we've learned a lot. We've slammed in a bunch of stuff and, you know, all right, we're good, right? I, I think that um, to be able to connect it in a way that is meaningful for our patients and our consumers, to be able to connect technology in a way that is also meaningful and differentiated to our caregivers, um, that's gonna require um, us taking a step back, you know, one, this is all behind us and saying, what have we learned, what haven't we learned and um, how do we move forward? And, and um, I look forward to, continuing this conversation as we always have and learning from other health systems as well as how we're doing this because we're all in it together. Well, this is, this is terrific again. And uh, I appreciate your time. And I know it was a crazy week last week. <laughs> so we appreciate you jumping on and, and doing this with us, but uh, thank you again. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. 
right, well, that's a wrap. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Healthcare is Hard, a podcast for insiders. You can find Keith Figlioli on Twitter and on LinkedIn. You can find me there as well. I'm Tom Salemi, Editorial Director of Device Talks. Join us next time. We'll have another great episode of Healthcare is Hard, a podcast for insiders waiting for you. Bye.